It's good to know who we are, isn't it? It's good to know that we're loved by God. You might be hearing a theme about that today. That in the love of God, we find our being, our identity, our purpose, all those answers to the questions that we are, we are hunting for, we're searching for. And these questions are not just little nuggets of knowledge that we take and gobble up like beautiful, delicious morsels. These are life-changing, life-transforming truth. Truth according to the Word of God that comes from the love of God Himself. That He gave us this so that we might know Him, we might know who He is, and in seeing who He is, we see a little bit more of who we are. And that when we see what He has done, we may trust Him. And when we trust Him, we will then follow after Him in His directions. That whenever He ushers a challenge to us, we'll not be afraid to step up to that challenge because we can see who God is. We can see what God does. We can see what God has said. We can see how God has loved us so marvelously that we can ask our question, why would I not rise up to that challenge? Last week we talked about this challenge that is based on the resurrection. That when it comes to what Paul has been writing in the letters of First and Second Corinthians, this idea of having our eyes open, being awakened to the message of Christ and His cross, that it brings a challenge to us now that we know who Jesus is and what He has done. But it's only one part of the challenge. You see, there is a challenge that is based on the resurrection. We saw that when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 58, verse 58, when he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul is wrapping up this, this whole message about the resurrection and saying the resurrection is going to leave you with a challenge. That you are able to be steadfast because of who your Jesus is and what He has done. That He is the one who has all authority. He is the one that has overcome death. He is the one that charts the course. We talked about how He calls us to be immovable, not deviated by the things that would distract us. Deviated by the fear of death. Deviated by the sufferings of life that we don't want to have in our life. We want to avoid them with all all just uh, conduct. But we seek to avoid these conflicts and these sufferings. But we also don't need to be deviated by falsehoods, by heresies, by counterfeits that would seek us to belittle the resurrection, that seek to belittle and besmirch the name of God and the character of God and the name of God that would make Him less than He is, that would make us serve a little Jesus instead of the great big Jesus that He is. And we're to be immovable based on the resurrection. But we're also to be always excelling in the Lord's work because as children of God who does nothing with mediocrity, we ourselves must rise up and say, God, why would I settle for just a so-so faith? Why would I settle for just a so-so religion? Why would I settle for such a so-so relationship? God, why would I settle for such a so-so service when everything you did was infinitely, awesomely good, holy and loving and powerful? Why would I settle for a life of mediocrity when you're nothing like mediocrity? We talked about how 
based on the resurrection, because there is a life hereafter, we know that what we do on this life is not done in vain. These are all challenges that rise up based on the resurrection. That when God has opened our eyes to who He is, He's awakened us, we cannot say, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's why God's Word is so good. It it removes those excuses that we can so easily justify. It says, now we know. There is a challenge based on the resurrection. But today, there's also a challenge based on responsibility. So I want to ask you to stand up as we honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to be finishing up this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Today, next week, we'll move to 2 Corinthians. We're doing all the way through those first and second letters. But in verse 13 and 14, that's where we're going to focus our, our message today. But it's based on all Paul's writing on, on the challenge because of your responsibility. He says to the church at Corinth and, and through God's holy word, preserving for us to us today, be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Let's pray. God, today, help us to know that this message was given to us. It was inspired and breathed out to the Apostle Paul to give it to the church at Corinth. And it was preserved for us today out of an act of your love. Out of the love that is found in your character. And not a simple, little puny type love, but a powerful, life-changing love. So God, help us not to be reckless today and just try to rationalize everything and try to build all of this on our own strength and our own merit. God, help us not be reckless in that manner, but God, help us to be reliant, completely reliant on You who spoke this message to us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, We've been talking about this letter and looking at it to understand it better. We want people to have an understanding of Scripture. We don't want people to to uh, settle for, as I like to label it, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the, the first person to ever label it this way, an Instagram-style faith. Um, I love Instagram. I'm in, on Instagram. Our church has an Instagram account. But our life is never to be established on merely an Instagram faith where we just take a, a, a verse, spread it here, spread it there, and, you know, really never apply it, never really understand it. And that we also don't miss out on the entirety of the gift of God's Word. Not just a few verses that are meaningful. There are verses that, uh, many, many of them are very meaningful. I have verses that I cherish that are so uh, encouraging to my soul. But the entirety of God's Word is breathed out for us. It's a gift of God's love to us. So we don't want to have a snippet-type faith. We want to have a full scriptural-type faith. And when we look at this, we look and see uh, a few things, the details. If we're going to understand the Scripture, we've got to look at the, audio, the, the author who, who wrote it. Um, God used men, like Paul, to write parts of the Scripture. He used their personality, he used their experience, and yet God was Holy Spirit illuminating the words. He was giving them the words and preserving them for us. And he's, Paul, writing this letter around AD 56, is writing to an audience. He's an author, he's writing a letter to an audience. This church at Corinth, we've talked about it. Uh, you probably know everything I've said about Corinth. 
It was devoid of their devotion. It was distracted from do- from doctrine. It was divisive. Um, it, it was kind of apathetic in places. And Paul is giving them pretty much a simple message. Wake up. Look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, and what He has told us. And that will have an impact in your life. In fact, you'll see that Jesus, based on who He is and what He has done, He has absolute authority and ownership of your life. And it's your job to be alert and awake to what He has in His purposes for you. See, when we get an understanding of the Scripture, it helps us to get, look at it and say, alright, that's what it says. That's what it means. That's how it applies. And now I am stuck with the question of what am I going to do about it? And Paul, based on the his wrapping up of what's going on, in chapter 16, he says these words. Be alert. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Now, why was Paul saying this? Obviously, it's been a little bit of text between verse 58, the last verse of chapter 15, and verse 13 of chapter 16. That, you know, that would mean those little numbers that we divide the Scriptures by so we can find them easily. They're divided so that we know that this is where things are. Obviously, since it's verse 13, there was 12 verses said before it. And in it, Paul is highlighting some responsibilities. He's like, not only do you need to be alert to what God has done based on the resurrection, but you need to be alert to the responsibilities of living from that moment. Living in light of that moment. Living because of that moment that changes the soul. He's writing about a few things. He writes about the collection for the Jerusalem church. If you don't know what a collection is, it's when somebody gathers things. I have quite a diverse collection in my office. It's a bunch of random things that I care about that probably most other people could care less about. But it's my nerd collection. I've gathered it up. But that's not exactly what Paul is dealing with. He's not talking about a a bunch of guys that are on eBay looking for random knickknacks, okay? He's talking about collecting funds for the saints, for the promotion of the ministry, for the work of the church. So this is talking about offering. This is talking about giving. The things that nobody ever wants to hear talked about in church except the select few who really like to hear about tithing. Want me to preach a message about tithing? Yes, I'm looking at you. All right, so everybody's looking. Who? I just randomly pointed a finger. No one knows who it is except a few. All right. But he's talking about this, that there is a responsibility that is given. And he's saying this is not something that's just for for one local body over here, just for a random ministry or a random church. He says, no, this is the same thing I've instructed to the Galatian churches. I instructed them the same thing. I'm, I'm placing this to you, that you have a responsibility to give to the needs and the work of the saints. That's a responsibility. And you need to be alert to that. Not only are you alert of who Christ is and how He willingly gave Himself, and not only are you alert of who you are in Him now that you're alive in Christ, you need to be alert to what is expected of you in Him. That just as He willingly laid down His life, we're going to see that in Second Corinthians, how He made Himself poor. Though He was rich, He made Himself poor for our sake. We're going to see that God has entrusted into us a responsibility, and a part of that is our obligation to be obedient to that which gives and moves on towards the saints, which helps the, the, the ministry, which helps the kingdom work. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you how to do this, to set this aside weekly. And then he says, and whenever I come, I'm going to charge some people from your church 
to be entrusted so there's, there's stewardship over this, there's management over this. That it's not just, hey, you're collecting this and then later on I'm going to come back and I'm going to take a money bag and then later on I'm going to buy a twin jet. Um, that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, right, we're going to entrust this as good stewards to handle this well. And I'm going to be traveling that well that way. And if you want to send some people to travel with me, that, that way they can keep tabs and know that this money was not some random just thing, that, that it was good for the work. And it went towards the work it was intended to go towards. Now, here's the thing about that. That is what Paul is directly looking at in that responsibility. But that is just one segment of text. If I said that was your only responsibility as a Christian, I'd be lying to you. I'd be misleading you. That's why we need the entirety of the Scripture to show us what kind of responsibilities are entrusted to us. That our responsibility to assemble and worship together so that we may stimulate one another, we may be encouraged one another. That's a responsibility of the church. Not because we're wanting to be good and look good, but because we know who Jesus is and what He did for us. He didn't forsake us. Why would we forsake Him? That we give just as He gave. That we serve as He served. That we go as He went. These are responsibilities. And Paul is asking the church to be alert. Don't be closed off. Don't be squinty-eyed, don't be in your comfort slumber and miss out on the responsibility that has been entrusted to you as the church, to me as a leader in the church, to us as disciples. Something has been entrusted and we must be alert to see it. If we're not, we let that person that wakes up and looks around or or they show up and they've been gone for so long. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. But they're like, I, I missed out on everything. What? I don't even know what's going on here. I, I'm totally lost. We must be alert. One of the reasons Paul was talking about this collection to the saints that would go to Jerusalem is not because Jerusalem was the mega church. It was pretty much the center hub of where Christianity was, was moving, expanding out of. But it was also because during this time they were suffering from famine. There was a difficult time and, and, and the church was not only having to deal with persecution and families that would not take care of their families because they were shunning them for the faith in Jesus. But he was also dealing with the fact that there was a real physical disaster going on in the land of Jerusalem. And Paul is writing them so they'll be informed. To be alert. This is why you're doing this. This is why we're doing this. You know what that tells me? We as Christians, we don't need to bury our hands in the sands to what's going on in the world. Yeah, it's scary stuff. Yeah, it makes us worrisome. That's why we don't put our hope in what news channel we're on. We put our hope in Jesus. But we must know what's going on so that we may be better prepared to serve and meet the needs that we must be alert Say, God, use what you've entrusted to me. Use how you've shaped me to help serve in the capacity locally or even beyond. Maybe to the uttermost parts of this world. Help me be alert. The second thing 
that Paul writes in this text. By the way, I, I've picked up really clever points today. Um, I, I, I did the whole alliteration thing, picked out words no one ever heard of. No, I didn't do that. I just used where the text does to say this is what we need to know. Not only be alert, but be firm in the faith. Paul used the words, stand firm in the faith. All of these are imperative statements. They're commanding something. They're challenging something. And Paul says, stand firm in the faith. Well, what does that mean? It means to stand firm in the faith. First of all, it's going to require for you to stand up. Not to be cowering, not to be apathetic, but to be ready to stand up and move. Now, sometimes... I don't like standing. Sometimes it, it just hurts. It's like, I've been sitting down and I liked sitting down. It was good. And now I stand up and these muscles that I haven't used in a few minutes or a few hours or however long my Fitbit tells me how much I laid down. Um, I, you know, I will get up and I, all of a sudden I'm stretching, moving muscles I hadn't moved in a while and it kind of hurts. But once they get loosened up, I'm ready to go. There's many commands in the scripture to stand, to, to get prepared to move. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to be mobile to what God has for us to do, the first movement is actually getting up and getting ready to go. I notice my kids in the morning. I love them. They're four precious dear angels in my house. But I can tell you this, when I'm telling them to get ready and do something, if they're still sitting in the seat, and they said, I'm getting ready, well, how? How? You haven't stood up. Your shoes are all the way over there. I know they're not going to magically, by use of the force, zap onto your feet. Get up. And yet, how many of us in the church, we would look to our Heavenly Father and say, God, I'm ready. And He's looking at us just sitting down. I'm like, really? Because the need is over there and you've got to get these tools to get there first. And you haven't even made the effort to get these tools first to get to the place of service. We've got to stand. But we not only have to stand, we have to stand in a, in a fashion. We have to stand firm. We have to stand Prepared for action. Not stand ready to be a pushover. I almost used that as an illustration today. See how many kids could try to push me over. Um, I thought that might not be a very good idea. Um, you're welcome, parents. Because um, I don't want to fall on a kid. You know, that would just be terrible. Um, plus, I don't want to fall. That would be terrible. Um, but stand firm means not only standing, but being planted being ready, not being movable, not being pushed around, not easily being tossed about. That We've got to stand fixed. And once again, that goes back to the teaching of what Jesus has done for us on the resurrection, that we can be immovable, we can be steadfast because of who He is, and we cannot be moved and deviated because of all the other things that would distract us. We must stand firm. But we must stand firm in the faith. Notice he didn't say stand firm on the faith, as if you're above it. Notice he didn't say stand firm outside the faith, as if you're beyond it. Notice he didn't say stand firm under the faith, as if it, it's just whatever goes on above, it's nothing to do with me. Notice he didn't say stand firm around the faith, as if I'll just keep on the outside. 
He says, stand firm in the faith. You've got to get in it, and it's got to be in you. If this is going to make a difference in your life, it can't be something on the peripheral. It's got to be something deep down. It can't be some abstract thought. It's got to be the heart and soul of your being. And it's got to be standing firm in the faith. It's got to have a substance. It's got to have a source. It's got to have strength to it, added to it. And only God's Word can show us what must be in our lives according to the faith. We've got to be those people that say, God, help me not be so easily distracted and deceived and justified. This says, this is how I want my faith to be. I'm looking for a little bit of this. Give me some forgiveness, God, and some loving God without the holiness of God and, and the expectations of God and the responsibilities from God and the mission from God and the service of God. I want these little things added to my life but I don't want to be shaped by it. Instead of it, we need to be standing firm in the faith. It says, God, whatever it is you are calling of me, because you have done everything to give your life for me, I will do anything to live my life for you. Whatever it is, shape me in the faith. Help me not be the person who says, I just want a little bit of this added to my life. God, help take your faith. And whatever it does to my life, let it have its way. Because only then will I be able to stand firm. Any other way, I will not be conditioned to live and serve as you have called me to live and serve. Any other way, I will not be prepared. Any other way, I will not be firm in the faith. I'll be a flounderer in the faith. Just like a fish out of water. Not knowing our way. We need to stand firm and be firm in the faith. Third part of the challenge is to be courageous. And I'll just simply say this. It takes courage to choose to do the right and righteous things. It's a challenge that's put there for a reason. If you're going to do the right and righteous things, it's going to take courage. It doesn't mean there won't be any fear in you, but it means that you will have the courage to stand up in the middle of that fear. Because if you are not courageous, you will not have the courage to choose to do the right things. You will not be able to stand up in the middle of those things. On the things that are right and good and the things that are righteous and holy. If there's no courage, you're a coward. No one likes being called a coward. So you're going to have to get courageous if you're not going to be a coward. If I'm not going to be a coward, I have to say, you know what? I cannot be fearful of this decision that God has called me to live in courageous manner. When the Lord was speaking in the Old Testament to a man named Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, you have this, this servant who had, for the longest time, he had been assistant coach, if you will. Moses was the head coach. He was running the place. He had the game on the line. And now Moses has died. That's basically the end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of Joshua. Moses, the servant of the Lord, has died. Great way to end a book. Great way to start a book, right? And here's Joshua, the person who was kind of next in line. He definitely was. He wasn't kind of. He was definitely was. God had already said, he will be your successor. And they're on the precipice of having to go into the promised land, of facing these people who had forts, who had land, 
who had armor, who had been used to the land. And he has a bunch of people who were the children of former slaves that had been wandering around the desert for 40 years. What is he to do? And God tells him, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous for I am with you. If those words, I am with you, cannot give you courage, I will tell you there is nothing else that ever will. There's no number in a bank account. There's no number in attendance. There's no building. There's no office space. There's no car. There's nothing else that will ever give you and fill that void. If, if I am with you, we'll never give you the courage that you need. But he also tells him one of the ways to keep this courage of knowing I am with you is to take this book, this law, this, this word, and you meditate on it day and night. And I will give you success in whatever I have set you to accomplish. We must be courageous because it takes courage to choose to do the right thing and the righteous thing. But we also not only must be courageous, we must be strong. Because not only does it take courage to choose to do the right and righteous things, it takes strength to accomplish the right and righteous things. It takes strength to actually do it. You can be courageous all you want. I'll tell you one thing. I could be a foolish coward and get in the ring of an MMA trained fighter. And you know what I'm going to be expecting? It is not going to be to win that bout. I am going to be hospitalized for a long time. I just know that. It's going to happen. Why? Because I do not have the strength or the training to do that. No matter how much courage I can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm going to get laid out. I am going to need the strength of God. I'm going to need those things in my life, if I'm going to accomplish the right things, and here's the thing, not only am I going to need it, but you will need it. All disciples will need this. And that is why the Bible tells us that we need the Scripture so that we may be corrected, we may be trained in righteousness, that we may be adequately equipped, we may be strengthened, we may be fortified for every good work. How dare we think, that? well, I'll just fly by the seat of my pants. And just hope it all works out. Which I'll be so honest, I am so guilty of doing at times. When God even told Joshua, for the plans I have for you, I want you to take this word and never let it depart from you. For then you will have success where you go as he, as he was led by the Lord. Why would we think that we're any different from that? Why would we think the expectation, the responsibility is any different? If we're going to be strengthened, we have to have the tools to strengthen us. The God who is with us will give us courage and be with us wherever we go, but He is also required for us to know Him and to be changed and transformed and shaped and molded, fortified by His Word. And lastly, to be doing everything in love. That's the, th- the fifth challenge that's in this Scripture. Based on the responsibilities of what was going on, based on the, the resources that was in the church, Paul is saying to them, when you do this, Whenever you take this collection, 
Whenever we plan, whenever I travel to you, I'm doing it out of love. When I come to you, I want you to know I'm not doing out of hatred. I'm not doing out of out of maliciousness. I'm not doing out of any ill content or whatever. I am coming to you in love, and I want you to know that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass through, and I'm going to be with you for a little while. I'm going to stay with you a little while because I love you. And then we're going to go. I'm going to go on to Jerusalem. If you send some people with me, they can go. But we're going to take this funds because we're going to do it in love, not because it's like, oh man, that Jerusalem church they can't get it together. They're just in a famine. Why can't they just take care of themselves over there? Why can't they just feed themselves over there? Why can't they just deliver themselves over there? Because who knows, for such a time as this, maybe God had placed the resources and the people in the church at Corinth to accomplish His need. To be people loved by God, transformed by the love of God, and showing that love to others in everything that they do for the glory of God. That everything in word would be done for the glory of God because it would be done out of an overflow of God's love to them and from them. And who knows that for such a time as this, God has equipped Eastgate Baptist in such a way to do something out of the love that He's placed within us, out of the resources He's given to us. But He's asking us, be alert, open your eyes, See what needs to be accomplished. He's saying, be firm in the faith. Do this not because you think you're just going to self-motivate yourself or self-help yourself into a better place, but standing firm on the conviction of who God is and what He has done for you, that you would be courageous, you would be strong, and that you would do stuff because God loves you and you love others. The challenge to live this life is not only based on the resurrection, it's based on the responsibility God has entrusted them to us. The responsibility says, I've, I've made and paid the ultimate price through the gospel for your salvation. But now I'm asking you to live this out so that the message of that salvation will be made known to those around you, to those beyond you, and those to the uttermost parts of the world. But do it in love, because I have loved you. Have courage, because I'm with you. Be strengthened because of the word. Stand firm in the faith. Be alert. Let's live up to the challenge. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this time that we've had today. And I pray that as we would grow in our knowledge of You, as we grow in the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, You alone, that God, we would be sharpened and shaped in our faith. That our lives would not just continue looking the same as they've looked for years and years. Because no matter how consistent we may be in our faith with You, God, there's always that next step. There's always that, 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 that deeper growth. There's always that, that next level. None of us ever graduates here in the earth until You call us home. So God, take us to that next level, whatever it may be. But help us be obedient to You. Not to come up with something on our own, but Lord, just being obedient to You. And in this moment where we're challenged to respond and, and You invite us by Your grace to do so, help us respond in a way that is appropriate, a way that sees Your love, a way that says yes to Your love, a way that lives for Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.